ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له اشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم وما يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما ما بعد we start in the name of Allah the most high the one to whom belongs all praise the one who controls all affairs the one who gives the one who takes glorified and exalted is he and we send peace and blessings upon the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wa wasallam and his family and his followers until the end of time amen the days of hajj are upon us and perhaps we can use those days uh, they're shortly upon us perhaps we can use this uh, time to segue into another concept but to learn a few things from there as well and as we always say one of the really interesting things about how we understand our religion and how we get to really delve deeper and deeper into our religion is to recognize and accept that there are often paradoxes paradoxes meaning it, it seems one way but it's actually another way or there's two things and you don't you're not really sure how it, it seems like they don't reconcile, but in reality they do. And uh, one of the things that's paradoxical about our religion is that it's simultaneously very individualistic and, and very communal. Right? So it's very much about the individual. The individual has to better themselves. The individual has certain obligations towards their Lord, towards the creation, and so on. And everyone will stand in front of their Lord by themselves. And at the same time, the religion is very communal. Because a lot of those obligations, even though they're upon us as individuals, they actually affect other people. And we have so many things in our religion that push us towards doing what we do in terms of worship and service and love for the people and everything else, doing that in a communal setting. So it has both of these. It's very much about the person, but it's also very much about the community. When we look at the rites of Hajj, the rites of Hajj are an interesting example of that. Right? So when we go to Hajj, we go by ourselves but we go in a group. When we go through the different rites of the Hajj, we know that this is a deeply intimate relationship that the person is going through with Allah. That they're putting on the ihram, they're looking similar to everyone else in order to not have so much distinguishing. And then when there's less distinguishing going on, then the focus becomes more on ourselves. And yet at the same time, we go to this great act of worship, which is the greatest one in the entire world. And millions of people are there. So now you have the individual and you have the community. And it's always going back and forth like this. And uh, so we, we think about then how is it that we live as an individual in our relationship with God. And at the same time recognize and realize that there's a communal element to that as well. You know, we, we stand and we pray these five prayers. And we can pray them by ourselves but it's better if we pray them with other people. We have to read Surah Al-Fatiha for ourselves, but in Surah Al-Fatiha itself, it's going to say, "Iyaka na'bud wa iyaka nasta'in," with a with a noon, right? It's you that we worship, and it's you that we seek. Again, acknowledging that this is a, a communal effort. So all of it is is coming back to this. So one of the questions then that that comes to mind is, how is it? What are the kind of foundations for developing this communal life? And some of those will be individual as well. So how, how, what are those? 
And no doubt there can probably be a number of different answers to that question, right? And probably they're not necessarily uh, contradictory. Like maybe one answer could be right and some answer might be slightly different and it will also be right because in the end people will have to do it. And if they do it, it might work, right? As long as they're taking it from a good place. So what are some of the foundations in my estimation? I would say that there's four that are really, really essential. Four foundations for community building. Because even though we are these individuals, we do need each other. And mashallah, you see like this, when I came in today, there's the new rugs for Jummah. It's really nice, mashallah. And everyone's coming together for this great act of worship, which is the Jummah prayer. And so what are, what are these four foundations? Foundation number one, each of them kind of builds on the one before it. Foundation number one is correct religious education. It should seem relatively simple, but as all of us probably recognize and realize, it's not actually as simple as it sounds. Because, uh, again, one of the paradoxes is that the religion is very simple, but the religion is also very complicated. So it's very, very simple. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. It's very simple, the five pr uh, pillars. It's very simple, the articles of faith and belief and believe in God and prophets and the hereafter and so on. But then it becomes very complicated because you have so many different people who believe the same things, but it looks so different, right? And so then how do we figure out what is a good type of religious, sound, solid religious teaching that will benefit us in our lives and in our communities? Um, and there's a number of foundations to that itself. Most important of which is correct belief. Correct belief. Generally speaking, when we, when we think about religious teaching, there's a couple of things that we should think about. One of them is that it should be something that is connected to that which came before. So it deals with, uh, religious teaching will always deal with reality because it deals with people. You can't actually deal with people without dealing with reality. Otherwise, it's, it's not actually correct in the first place, right? So it'll always deal with reality, but it should be connected to that which came before. So we think about, for example, what does it mean to believe in God? What do we believe about God? What do we not believe about God? What do we believe about the prophets? What do we not believe about the prophets? What do we believe about the day of judgment and why? And so on. All of that should be something that we've taken generation upon generation upon generation from the people became, that came before us. This is not something that changes. Right? Even, in the, even within the messengers themselves, one of the things that we believe in our religious teaching is that the messengers themselves will come with the same belief about God, the same belief about prophets, the same belief about the Day of Judgment. That won't even change across messengers all of human, all human history, let alone the history since the time of the Prophet So the first foundation of correct religious teaching is to have correct belief, right? correct theology. The second one is to be able to practice the religion in a way that is sound. Right? In a way that is sound and correct. And probably people are familiar with this whole you know, phenomenon of the, the different schools of law that we have throughout history. Everyone, you know, sometimes people say, well, why do we have a Hanafi school? Why do we have a Maliki school? Why do we have a Hanbali school? Can't we just all have the, the Quran and the Sunnah? And what do you think they were doing? <laughs> like they, they, these people were they, they, in the case of Abu Hanifa, for example, Imam Abu Hanifa was a tabi. He he met the, some of the Sahaba, not a whole lot of them, but he was early enough that he met a handful of them. But what do you think he was doing? It was like some other thing, not Quran and Sunnah. Of course, it was Quran and Sunnah. Imam Malik was Quran and Sunnah. Imam Ahmed is Quran and Sunnah. Imam Shafi is Quran and Sunnah. 
All they are are interpretive methodologies that help us to be some have some level of integrity in the way that we deal with the Quran and the Sunnah, because otherwise it becomes a free for all. But in any case, the point is that that knowledge we should know the basics of how do we worship our Lord. I have to pray. I have to fast if I'm healthy. I have to pay zakat if I have enough money. I have to make hajj if I'm able to do so. I have probably some business and financial interactions that I'm engaged in that I need to know how to do them correctly and how not to. All of that stuff is basic religious obligation of teaching. Second layer of that then is to understand what are the frameworks by which we can put things in the right place. Because the, the basic knowledge will take you just step one. Step two is, how do I make sense of this religious teaching in the world that I live in? And that then should be sought, generally speaking, across the board, generally speaking, that's sought from who? It's sought from the thought leaders and, and major religious scholars of the particular place that you live in. Right? So that, that will be, generally speaking, across the board. Wherever you live, you look to the senior scholars of that place, who understand that place, and you listen to what they say about that reality and they help you to negotiate that, right? Because we, our Islam, as we live in as a community, our Islam is not just about us and our relationship with Allah. It's about figuring out what is that going to look like for our children and our children's children and our children's children's children. So it's, it's not just one generation that we're worried about, but what is Islam going to look like in this place that's authentic but still relevant to this place generations down the road. So this is, again, part of number one, which is the sound religious teaching. The other component that sound religious teaching has to have, you know, after theology and after the practice, is some commitment to spiritual refinement. And a commitment to spiritual refinement that is completely within the lines and the guidelines of that theology and of that sharia, of the rules and of the belief. And then we have spiritual practices that help us to purify ourselves from those things that need to be purified. To, to shake the earth of our souls so that we can get the things out that are getting in the way of us and our Lord and doing what we need to do. Whether that's anger or hatred or jealousy or showing off or love of popularity or love of fame or position or any of the number of diseases, stinginess, any of the number of the diseases of the heart that can afflict the person. It has to be a commitment to rectifying that. So all of this then is in the category of sound religious teaching. Sound religious teaching is absolutely the foundation of everything else. If it's good, it's good. If it's not good, it's going to push us in the wrong direction. Right, so first foundation for community building is that. Second foundation for community building is a communal commitment to that spiritual refinement that we spoke about. Why that one in particular? Because for the average person, when we talk about theology, there's a limit to it. The average person, basic things that they need to know. They need to know God. They need to know the prophets. That's it. Hereafter. It doesn't take that long if you study a basic thing and you move on with it. If you want to know the law, the rules of what you should and shouldn't do, still there's some limit to it. But the spiritual refinement component of that education, there's no limit to it. Because every single day you're going to have to deal with sincerity. And every single day you're going to have to deal with humility. And every single day you're going to have to deal with patience. And every single day you're going to have to deal with anger and jealousy and greed and all of these other things. It's never going to go anywhere. So on a communal level, one of the things that we have to be committed to with one another is that we will encourage one another to rectify and improve upon our spiritual condition. That we will be there for one another. 
We will support one another when we're slipping. Not, not to be there, being there for one another doesn't mean that we're ready to smack the person when they fall. That's, that's not being there for one another. Being there for one another is that, that we're ready to grab the person by the arm and lift them up when they're going through their time of difficulty. Right? But there has to be a communal commitment to that. One of the basic communal commitments to that, very, very simple, is the five daily prayers. Right? Like the whole idea of the masajid is generally built upon the five daily prayers. That's the most fun, fundamental commitment to spiritual refinement that we have. Because in the salat tanha and in fahsha'i wal munkar, that the prayer will prohibit the person from evil and obscene things. Right? So that's a commitment to some level of spirituality there. To see one another, to ask about each other, to smile in the face of one another. All of these things are acts that revolve around the five daily prayers that are then also part of that spiritual commitment. Part of that spiritual commitment as a community also is to remind each other to, to remember Allah. Right? To remind each other. In a lot of Muslim cultures, they have these things. When things start to get you know, a little bit more uh, involved, then for example, at least in Egypt, it's very common. If you have a, situ- if you have a conversation that starts to escalate, someone will say, Salli ala nabi Someone will tell everyone in the group, send salat on the Prophet That's an act of worship. It's an act of communal worship in a sense. So reminding one another to spirituality. That regardless of this argument that we're having right now, just salli ala nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Say, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. It's going to help the, the heart to feel better. It's going to put things, remind us to put things in the right place. So this then number is number two. If we have correct religious teaching and we have a commitment towards spiritual refinement, the next place where that's really going to show up and it really again has to be dealt with on a regular level is on the third pillar. The third pillar is to learn to love one another. It's to learn to love one another. Loving each other is a lot harder than it sounds. And loving is not easy also for people who have not been loved. And some people, and people sometimes have been loved in very interesting ways that don't always help them to be able to love others later on. But being able to show compassion to each other, being able to have concern for one another, being able to support each other, being able to have a, a cleanliness of heart towards one another, these are all things that help us then to, to really show that love. When we see each other in the masjid, when we see each other in the Jummah prayer, when we go home to our families, one of the great places where that love should be manifested, right? The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he said, "The best of you are the best of you to your family." It's a really hard standard to live up to, because we can fake all kinds of things outside, but inside is a whole different world. And being able to to love our wives and to love our husbands and to love our children and to love our relatives and our family members and even the people that we don't like. Being able to love people that we don't like is very, very important. You know, we don't have to like somebody in order to love them. That's one of the beautiful things about loving people for the sake of God. That the person loves someone else only for the sake of God. They don't even have to like them. But they can still love good for them. And want good for them. And seek, seek their upliftment and so on. And so that, that, then that's a feeling that has to manifest in the heart. Uh, one of the beautiful statements of one of the early Muslims, he said that the people before us, they didn't reach the rank that they reached with God by doing a lot of prayer and a lot of fasting, although they did. But one of the things that he mentions that was the reason that they reached what they reached was because they had sakha'ul anfus was salamatu sadr, two things. Sakha'ul anfus was salamatu sadr. One of them means that they, they have a generosity of spirit, which is love. And that they have a cleanliness of heart towards others, which is also love, right? 
So then that shows up in our families, shows up in our communities, shows up in the way that we deal with others. But then, you know, all of this now, if you notice, it's inching kind of further and further outwards. And this is also, again, goes back to that point in the beginning about the individual and the communal. The individual and the communal. Um, Dalia Mugahid, Allah preserve her, she's, you know, like a researcher and uh, intellectual in the American Muslim community. She had a, a post recently where she said basically the, along the lines of, if we don't have a serious commitment to our internal rectification, it doesn't matter how many political issues we solve, there's still going to be new ones. Because the internal rectification has to be there. And she's saying this, and she says it in the post. I'm saying this as someone who knows about all of these things and cares about all of these things, right? Like that's her job, is to know what's going on in the world, the politics, the society, everything else. And she's saying all of this is not going to be rectified unless we rectify what's inside of ourselves. So that's, again, the individual and the communal, the internal and the, and the external. And as we go through these things, they start to keep creeping themselves out. So you have the religious education, which leads to the commitment to spiritual refinement, which we have to do with one another. And then those two will manifest in love with each other, love for one another, and so on, which will then lead to the fourth one, which we'll talk about in the second half of the khutbah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I remind myself and everyone to have an awareness of God in all that we do. So we have these three components. Right? Three components. We have the religious education, we have the commitment to spiritual refinement, and we have the love that will manifest as a result of that and has to be nurtured and grown in our community settings. Love is not always easy. Love is not just something that's static. It takes a lot of work. Right? You, can, you can develop love over a period with someone and it can fall out. Right? It's, it's a, uh, it deteriorates. You have to keep investing in it. Right? This is one of the big things that happens in marriages, is that people are married for an extended period of time and over time they stop investing in the relationship because it just becomes second nature. It happens in business too. People have a business, it's successful, they stop investing in it, they stop looking to how it's going to grow, they stop caring for it, they assume it's just going to keep going. It doesn't usually keep going. Knowledge is the same way, love is the same way, right? So it has to keep being invested in. So what happens then if you have these three? The fourth component is service. That there has to be some sort of action that comes as a result of that. The religious teaching is there, it puts everything in the right place. The spiritual commitment is there, it helps us to, to develop the wherewithal to do something about what we know. And then that shows itself in love, and it shows itself in service. And that service is, again, first and foremost in our own house, in our own homes. The, and, and the Prophet them is the greatest of examples. It's just, uh, it's so humbling. Anytime we think about the way that the Prophet them was in his home, it's so humbling. I mean, who was this man, sallallahu alaihi wasallam? Who was this man that he could come running from a cave? He could come running into the arms of his wife and tell her, "Hold me, hold me," and this happened, and so on, and tell her everything, and she doesn't hesitate for an instant 
to tell them, no, your Lord is with you. You take care of the poor. You take care of your family. You help those who are oppressed. Uh, who was this person? Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Who was this person who could, who could go through hardship and go through oppression and develop a community and teach them and be driven from his land and, and, and expand into other places and de develop? How, how are you going to do all of that? And at the end, his family still loves him more than everyone else. I mean, it's remarkable. It's another example of internal and external, by the way, of the balance between the internal and the external. So then that manifests itself in the service in the house. It manifests itself in the service in community settings. And service, by the way, doesn't have to be always the most complicated things. It doesn't have to be like, you know, you set up this really sophisticated zakat distribution model in order to make sure that everyone can get what they need. That's a great service, right? But it can also be like, you notice that the uncle needs a chair and you bring him a chair. Or you notice that someone drops something and you pick it up for them. Or you notice that, you know, you're in line for food and you let someone else go before you. I mean, these are all acts of service too. And the small ones are important and the big ones are important. The Prophet sallallahu he said, do not look down on any good that you do. Don't look down on any good that you do, even if it's meeting your brother or sister with a smile. It's very small, but that's an act of service too. Right? And then of course it moves and extends beyond our community as well. And this is the great calling of the Islamic civilization and the Muslim Ummah. The Muslim Ummah, again, internal and external, individual and communal. We don't not only about rectifying ourselves and our families and our internal community, but the calling of the Ummah is to rectify the condition of all of humanity. This is the message of the Prophet It's not just so that I can have a happy life and go to work and take care of my family. That's a benefit too. But one of the other parts of it is that the entirety of humanity is being called to that which is necessary for them to, to live well. Right? To live well and to live correctly and to make the best out of the world that we live in. Right? And that's why you see so many great contributions of Islamic civilization throughout history. is because these components are all there and they're all working together. And they're all supporting one another. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us tawfiq. Allah, we ask you to forgive us of our sins and our shortcomings, to accept from us our deeds, to give us good in this life and the next. We ask you, Allah, for knowledge that benefits us and to benefit us from that which you have given us. Allah, we ask you to give food to the hungry, to give shelter to the shelterless, to give victory to the oppressed, to give aid to those who are suffering. Allah, we ask you to make us from those who are able to build communities of learning and spiritual commitment and refinement and love and service towards one another. We ask you, Allah, to bring good on our hands, to give healing to those amongst us who are sick and those of our loved ones who are sick, and to have mercy on those who have passed away. Allahumma ighfir lana dhunubana wa israfana fi amrina wa thabit aqdamana. Allahumma barik fina wa baynana alif bayna qulubina wa sufufina. Allahumma inna nas'aluka fi'lan khayrat wa tarkin munkirat. وحب المساكين اللهم وفقنا إلى ما تحبه وترضاه اللهم اجعلنا من عبيدك السعداء واختم لنا ختم الشهداء وكون معنا يا ربنا في أمورنا كلها وفقنا إلى ما تحبه وترضاه اللهم آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذاب النار وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم وقم الصلاة